Well, good morning, Hawaii Kai Church. Um, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Dan. Uh, Pastor Dan is not feeling well today, so please pray for him as he recuperates. Uh, unfortunately, this means we will not be learning from the Gospel of Luke this morning, but we will return to that next week, God willing. This morning, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, which is on page 909 in the Bibles in front of you. We're going to be uh, studying verses 4 through 8 this morning in Acts chapter 1. Again, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, which is on page 909 in the Bibles in front of you. Now, before I read the passage, let me just say that as much as our text this morning deals with evangelism and missions, my hope is that the takeaway from today's sermon will not just be an encouragement to share your faith, but rather my hope is that we will all leave here with a deeper conviction of where the power of conversion, the power to change lives actually comes from. That power comes from God. With that, let's read our text for this morning, Acts Chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Before we begin, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, again, we come before you this morning thanking you for your grace and for your mercy that you have given to us your word. And I pray this morning, Lord, even as we speak, even as your word speaks of the Holy Spirit, that it would be by your Spirit that you would unearth and reveal to us, Lord, truths from your word that can help us, that can change us, and that can bless us, Lord. We look forward to what you have for us this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to put our passage this morning into proper context, we first need to understand that the book of Acts is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke, a historian par excellence, is the author, and he begins the book of Acts by picking up with an account of the closing hours of Jesus' life on earth. The Lord has already been crucified and resurrected from the dead, and now he is giving his disciples the final words that he has for them before he ascends back into heaven. He is commissioning his disciples. He is giving them this great commission to be his witnesses, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Starting in verse 4, let's look at it again where we read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, in his final words to his disciples, Jesus orders them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the promised gift of the Father. Now, what is this promise? Well, the promise of God was going to be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which was going to take place 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. And you can read all about this in Acts chapter 2. 
Now, in talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says at the end of verse 4, you heard from me. Jesus is telling his disciples, you heard this from me before. You heard me talking about the Holy Spirit before. Now, when did Jesus previously tell his disciples about the promise of the Holy Spirit? Well, he did so back in John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Turn back there for a moment. Hold your finger in Acts chapter 1. Turn back one book in the Bible to the book of John. Look at verse, uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 16. John 14, starting in verse 16, when Jesus is talking with his disciples in the upper room at their last supper together, he told them this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then later, down in verse 26 of John 14, Jesus tells them, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then later, in the next chapter, chapter 15, Jesus tells the disciples, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Then later in chapter 16, the next chapter over of John, Jesus continues, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, why do I bring up all these passages from John's gospel? Well, because in Acts chapter 1, in his final words to his disciples before ascending back into heaven, Jesus is reminding his disciples, he is giving them assurance, he is promising them that he is not going to leave them alone. He was not going to leave them as orphans. Rather, he would ask the Father to send a helper to be with the disciples forever, a helper who will teach them teach them all things and bring to their remembrance everything that Jesus had said to them, a helper who would proceed from God the Father and who bears witness of Jesus Christ, a helper, the spirit of truth, who will guide them into all truth, a helper whose purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ and to make him known to the world. And so you see, it was never intended for the disciples to witness, evangelize, and make disciples of all nations in their own strength, in their own abilities, in their own powers, in their own understanding. This is a very important point that I want us to dwell on for just a moment. God does not intend for us to live the Christian life on our own. He has provided for us the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but more importantly, He has provided for us himself. God has given to us his Holy Spirit, and it is by the Holy Spirit that we are to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And so Jesus instructs the disciples that they were to wait in Jerusalem for the power of God that would come upon them through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, I hope that you have already heard in the passages from John that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to all of His children. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment of your salvation when the Spirit of God indwells the believer and places him or her into union with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 gives us more insight into this when it says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. From this passage, we see that we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, free, slave. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to all believers to make us into one body, the body of Christ, with the end result that we would be his witnesses. Now, I want to emphasize this point because you may hear in more charismatic circles that a Christian especially if you are a struggling Christian, that you should be seeking a second blessing that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to tell you that nowhere in Scripture are believers told in any sense to seek out the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a type of second blessing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something initiated by God to all believers. It is not something that, hap that happens to a select few super spiritual Christians who have somehow figured out or learned the secret to God's power. Absolutely not. All you have to do is look again at John 14, John 15, John 16, and you'll see that the Holy Spirit is promised to all believers and so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's promised gift to everyone who believes in Him. This is an amazing promise of God in the life of every believer. Now, in the first century, when the early church first began, the fulfillment of the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred on the day of Pentecost, when for the first time, believers were permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and God's church was established. Well, subsequent to that time, God gifts the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes. In Acts 2.38, when Peter is giving his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts 10 and Acts 11, Peter witnesses and testifies to the fact that even Gentile believers receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they believed. Now, as we're going to see in just a moment, God gave His people, the church, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gave the church this great power because He also gave the church a great assignment. God gave the disciples His Holy Spirit because He also gave the church the great commission. Let's continue on. Look at verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, although I think the disciples understood that Jesus did come to establish his kingdom, I don't think they were quite sure exactly how this was going to happen. 
They incorrectly believed that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome and make Israel into a great nation once again. Perhaps they were envisioning the glory days of King David and King Solomon when the nation of Israel was powerful on the earth and the envy of many other nations. Their lack of understanding is clear in their question in verse 6 when they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We see in this question that the disciples were hoping for a restoration of an earthly kingdom. They failed to understand that Jesus came to usher in an entirely new spiritual kingdom, that Jesus himself represented that kingdom. Not only that, they were hoping for a restoration of a kingdom for Israel, not understanding that God's kingdom would be for all nations, even to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, in their warped understanding, were hoping for a restoration of an earthly kingdom in which Israel would have, in which they would have the opportunity to reign with Jesus. And we know this because earlier, the mother of James and John approached Jesus in Matthew 20 and said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And I think it's fairly obvious that they really didn't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. But I don't think the disciples' misunderstanding of God's kingdom was limited to just them in their time. I think we too sometimes share that misunderstanding today. James Montgomery Boyce, a theologian and longtime pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, he said this, There is always the temptation to think that we are to do the Lord's work in the world's way that we can establish the kingdom of God politically, by law, by getting Christians into high positions in government, and by imposing our vision of society on the world. He goes on to say that there is also a temptation to believe that we can win people to Christ and see more people baptized by simply raising and spending more money to bring about conversions. As, as Boyce says, the problem comes when we think that raising money is the way, to spiritual, is the way spiritual work must be done. We think that if we are able to raise $100,000 for an evangelical cause one year, that we can then do twice as well the next year if we can only raise $200,000. He says that when we think this way, we are falling into a dangerous trap. Now, although Dr. Boyce acknowledges that there is a proper place for a political and legal expression of the Christian worldview, and I would add that there is also a time and a place to spend money for evangelistic outreaches and initiatives, we must nonetheless never forget that moral reform will not come by political power. You cannot legislate a change in people's hearts. Nor can you save a person's soul simply by spending millions of dollars on evangelistic programs. You cannot bring about true change in a person from the outside. That's called behavior modification. True change must come from the inside. True change requires a change in a person's heart and mind. And this is why Jesus says in John 3 that a person must be born again by the Spirit if they are to see the kingdom of God. Now, a person can only be born again by faith, by placing their faith and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world to die for our sins. We who are sinful 
and therefore separated from God and destined for hell. We are hopeless and helpless and utterly lost. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our death penalty upon himself and died as our substitute, taking God's wrath against our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet as simple and as logical as this may sound to you and me, we are also told in 1 Corinthians 1 that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It makes absolutely no sense to them. And the reason for that is simple. It's because before God saves a person, before God regenerates and quickens a person back to life, that person is spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. As Dr. Boyce rightly says, it is only the Holy Spirit who can take the gospel to the hearts and minds of men and women and change them into disciples of the Lord. And this is precisely what Jesus is teaching his disciples in Acts 1, 7, and 8. In verse 7, Jesus basically dismisses the disciples' faulty understanding by saying, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's none of your concern. Instead, Jesus tells them in verse 8, your job, your concern, if you are my disciple, is to be my witnesses to the entire world. And the only way you're going to do this is if I give you the power to do so. Look again at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, it is going to be by the power of God's Spirit and only by the power of God's Spirit that people from all over the world will be saved. The Greek word for power in verse 8 is dunamis. It's from this word that the inventor of dynamite derived its name. And in the New Testament, the word dunamis is also used for the word miracle or miraculous power. And this should tell us something about what is required for someone to actually be saved and converted to Christ. As mentioned earlier, Christians were never intended to witness, to evangelize, and to make disciples of all nations in their own strength, in their own abilities, in their own powers, in their own understanding. Rather, it is only by the power of God through the Holy Spirit that enables us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And it is only by the power of God that someone can be saved. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about a group of ordinary men, mostly fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, probably all smart and skilled at what they did, but not educated, not sophisticated, not rich, not powerful, at least by the world standards. In fact, by the world standards, these first disciples were really nobodies. And they were followers 
of a traveling preacher who basically had only a three-year career in a relatively obscure part of the world. And now, these are the guys who are supposed to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth? How crazy is that? Yet that is exactly what happened. These nobodies who had no money, no political power, no technology, were preaching a brand new message that was utter foolishness to an unregenerate world. They would face intense hatred and persecution, persecution almost everywhere they went, and all but one would eventually be martyred because of their message. And yet in spite of all these obstacles stacked up against them, the gospel message would spread not only through Jerusalem, but then also to Judea and Samaria. And eventually it would spread to Rome, which was at that time the capital of the world. Ultimately, the gospel would reach beyond that to the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire and then to the ends of the earth. So far-reaching and impactful was their message that in Acts 17.6, people were saying that the disciples, these disciples, these were the men who were turning the world upside down. How can you explain that? The only answer is that it was accomplished by the supernatural power of God working through His Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary men and women just like you and me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Adolf Harnack, a German church historian, said, we cannot hesitate to believe that the great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries, meaning that every single Christian was sharing their faith. It was not just the pastors, not just the trained missionaries sent out by well-funded missions organizations that were sharing the gospel. Rather, every Christian, informal missionaries, Christians just like you and me, considered it their obligation, their duty to bear witness of Jesus Christ to a lost world. That's the only way it could have happened then, and it's the only way that it will ever happen today. Again, think about this. Here we are, on a tiny speck of land in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, unknown of and unheard of to the disciples of Jesus' time. And yet here we are. Some 2,000 years later, we believe. Our lives have been changed. We have been saved by the grace of God. And all of this began because the power of the Holy Spirit has been working through God's people throughout the ages to make disciples of all nations, even to the ends of the earth. Now think about the person who shared Christ with you. Perhaps it was a friend or a co-worker or more likely your parents. But then think about the person who may have previously shared Christ with them and then those who previously shared Christ with that person. You know, one day in heaven, I hope that I can meet all the people who God used throughout history to eventually bring me to himself. Until then, all I know right now 
is the person who shared the gospel with me for the first time. It was a young lady named Diane who over the dinner table in a dining hall at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst took the brave step to share the gospel with an arrogant, prideful, cocky jerk who only wanted to argue with her. She took a risk and endured all my smart aleck wisecracks and did the best she could in sharing the four spiritual laws with me. Although I didn't become a Christian right then and there, God used Diane in the process of bringing me to himself and saving my soul. And because God used Diane in my life to bring me to himself, God used me in the process of bringing Sandra, my wife, to himself. And then through San and I, the process continued so that my daughters, Keiko and Katie, and my sons, Evan and Vance, now have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life as well. All this because God empowered Diane to share the gospel with me. Now, was it because of Diane's articulate presentation of the gospel that saved me? Nope. Was it her incredible knowledge of apologetics and her ability to answer all of my questions that brought me to faith? No. Was it because she knew her Bible inside and out and had memorized dozens and dozens of scriptures that ultimately convinced me to trust in Christ as my Savior? Nope. Was it because the power of the Holy Spirit was at work moving in my life through Diane's witness that ultimately saved my soul. Absolutely. As we've already established, this same Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside of every believer today. It is the same Holy Spirit that works in the hearts and minds of people to bring them to faith today. And this is what you and I need to understand this morning. How comforting it is to know that we do not go out alone on our mission to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's with you at work when you're talking to your non-Christian co-workers. He's with you when you are eating lunch with your non-Christian friends. He's with you when you are with your non-Christian family members trying your best to share the gospel with them. If you are a Christian, God has given you the power of his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses wherever you are and to whomever you speak to. Brothers and sisters, Jesus tells us in John 4 to open our eyes and see that the fields are ripe unto harvest. There are people that God is ready to save. So be bold. Step out in faith this week and be a witness for Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit with your lost co-workers, with your lost neighbors, your lost friends, and your lost family. Share with them what you know about Jesus Christ. Invite them to church. Give them a reason for the hope that is in you, knowing full well that it is only by God's power, it is only by His power that they will be saved and that their lives will be changed. Let's see what God will do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you especially that it is by your Holy Spirit that you illumine your word to us, that you make known to us your will, your ways, 
And I pray, God, that it would be by this same Spirit that you would continue to work in and through each and every one of us, helping those, Lord, who need to be saved to see and to understand who you are. Please, Lord, be merciful to them. Open their eyes. Help them to see you for who you truly are. Bring them to faith. We pray for the rest of us, Lord, as well, that you would continue to equip us, that you would continue to empower us, and that you would continue to use us. And by your grace and mercy, would you save some. We thank you again for this morning. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.